Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, Head of Non-Dollar Rate Strategy, and I'm joined today by our Global Market Specialist, Kevin Cummins and Joanne Spadigan. Okay, given we're recording this on Thursday afternoon, straight after the ECB, I think that's probably the best place to start this week. So, um, Joanne, let's just quickly talk through um, what the ECB decision was this week and, and kind of what your take on it was. It was a very closely balanced decision, I guess. Um, it seemed very 50-50, whoever we talked to, between a kind of hawkish hold and a dovish hike. And, and in the end, I suppose a, a dovish hike was what was delivered. Yeah, so we got a dovish 25 basis point hike. I do think markets are fairly on edge through this week. Uh, as you said, fairly balanced views in terms of whether we get a hike or a pause. Uh, the pause was dovish by itself, though. I think um, there were a couple of main things that came out of the, I suppose, statement as well as the press conference that's read quite dovish to me. Uh, the first was a really a key change of the language, which would noted that um, rates have reached levels that if maintained for a sufficiently long duration, would bring inflation back to target. Um, so I think that, that along with this message from Lagarde during the press conference, that now focus has shifted and so, so the, the duration of time during which rates will be kept uh, held at a restrictive level becomes quite important now. And to us, that really is a dovish message with kind of a signal there that this might really be the end of the hiking cycle. Um, other than that, I do think that we had obviously um, uh, thinking, when, in terms of our thinking about inflationary pressures, I do think that this meeting and the message here really is that this should be the end, given that inflationary pressure should continue to come down uh, as I suppose the months progress and even the ECB themselves kind of noting that base effects should bring inflation down. So if inflation is really coming down, I think the kind of ammunition to hike really does die down uh, over the rest of this year. Uh, markets are likely to have some kind of risk of that of a hike really baked in for the rest of this year, but I don't necessarily think that will happen. Uh, but obviously, uh, risks uh, are, sh- should be priced in as as markets are. You mentioned there about kind of how the ECB saw the inflation outlook evolving. Obviously, this was one of the quarterly meetings, so we did get a set of updated projections, um, and you know that I suppose helped with with the dovish messaging. Is would you agree with that? Yeah, for sure. So I think uh, obviously with the dovish, dovish, dovish messaging, the growth kind of decreases one that I think is most important for us at least. And uh, most important, I think, in terms of thinking for the longer term, what that means for markets. Uh, the inflation projections for headline were revised up for 23 and 24. And that's kind of was already televised and was something that was driving markets over the start of, of this week and kind of sources article there. Uh, but I do think the key kind of message we're taking is that the growth outlook is deteriorating and you know potentially at the end of this year we could get another kind of reduction in growth as well so the negative growth uh, assessment really is one that stands out to us as being fairly dovish even whilst the headline inflation number did go up and to be honest core as well uh was revised downwards so again uh that kind of puts a favor in the doves camp if you will i all of that kind of dovish language or dovish signaling you know, Lagarde was clear in emphasizing this kind of new element of policy guidance, which is about the duration and the length of time at which rates remain at these levels. What's that take on on really how long they're going to have to remain at the peak if if this is the peak? So I don't think it's surprising that the ECB really 
focused on this higher for longer message. I think we've expected them to do that. But I do think that what will become important is the growth picture and how that plays into market pricing for cuts. Uh, if we do actually see this revision downwards in growth at the end of this year as well, I think that really does pull forward the date at which we could see rate cuts actually coming through. Our initial expectation for this was mid next year, but you could see that come through uh, earlier, potentially in March next year, if the growth picture does start to deteriorate. There's obviously this question about inflation versus growth, which one's more important for the ECB to pay attention to. They're obviously both important, but bringing rates down from uh, 4% where they are currently to 3% or 2%, I think we still have rates at sufficiently restrictive levels, even though they are lower, whilst also, I suppose, giving some give to the growth side of the picture and allowing that to come down less starkly uh, if we're kind of seeing the softening picture pull through a bit more sharply than expected. And then finally on the ECB, the only other thing we were looking out for today was, um, well, not that it was our base case, but I suppose was on our radar in terms of potential shifts to other tools. Um, and by that, I mean kind of QT, quantitative tightening, or anything on the minimum reserve requirement, the MRR. Um, did we learn anything new there? No, so I think this uh, kind of uh, dovish hike decision was probably one that meant that we didn't really need a negotiation tactic between the hawks and the doves. So we didn't actually get any changes either in QT or in minimum reserves today. Uh, I do think the QT story is fairly interesting and has been positive for BTP Bund today because the ECB has basically said that they are, have not considered uh, a change in the timeline for PEP reinvestments yet. And um, so that's been a positive for the spread. But of course, I think uh, PEP remains a very important tool for the ECB just in terms of managing spreads, but also uh, managing how monetary, monetary policy is transmitted uh, through various European economies. So nothing there just yet, uh, but potentially something to watch out for in the ECB meetings to come. Okay, that's probably enough on the ECB. Now let's switch over to the other side of the Atlantic because we are, of course, in that two-week period, although sometimes a one-week period, um, where we get all the central banks. So next week will be all about the Fed um, and the BOE. Today we have our US economist, uh, Kevin Cummins, with us to talk all about the Fed. Um, let's just start off with your near-term expectations, I suppose. What are you looking for next week from the Fed? Yeah, we aren't looking for any sort of change in the funds rate. So I think uh, the, it's widely anticipated that the, the Fed will take another pause here uh, at next week's FOMC meeting um, after hiking 25 basis points at the last meeting in July. Um, it, it is the, the message from the Fed is that they could probably slow the pace of hikes and they may be at the peak rate. Um, I don't expect, uh, the message to change all that much from what we've heard recently from Fed officials, including Jer Powell. Um, so, you know, it's kind of, um, I, I think at the end of the day, we probably aren't going to learn too much new. Um, relative to kind of expectations uh, kind of shaped in the last uh, month or two from the Fed? I guess like the ECB, this is one of their quarterly meetings. So we will get updated projections and the updated dot plot. Um, do you think we'll learn anything interesting from the dot plot then? Yeah, I think the I, I I think the Fed is unlikely to change uh, their median dot for this year. Uh, and still show one more hike. Um, if you go back in time and go back ahead of the June meeting, the dot plot was a little bit more hawkish than expected in that um, 
it assumed that the peak rate would be higher than I think most uh, assumed going into the meeting, including ourselves. So I think um, the message from the Fed is they'd rather, is assuming the economy holds up, and it, and it certainly has um, held up pretty well uh, in the U.S., that they're going to keep going um, higher. And, and I think that you know, in the dot plot from June, it showed um, another hike, um, assuming that they hiked in July, and they did, uh, one more for the end of the year. So I think that we're going to get, um, their officials will keep that dot. Now, it's unclear whether or not they're going to actually hike in November and December. The odds have started to move up, in, in my opinion. Um, the economy in the U.S. is more resilient. In fact, we did push out our expectation that the recession um, is, instead of hitting at the end of this year, we think it's going to hit in the springtime of next year. So I think, if anything, the data have supported the idea that the Fed could potentially go again, either at the November or December meeting. Um, Of course, it's meeting to meeting now as you get closer to that terminal rate. um, You know, the hurdle probably is higher than it was getting to that rate. Um, and that's probably a, a theme that Powell will reemphasize this week is, you know, n- nothing is set in stone anymore. The forward guidance really is, is not something that they're um, going to provide very much of. So if the data support them going once more this year, fine, then the then presumably the peak rate will be one more hike. Um, but if things do show more evidence of um, that inflation is moderating and the labor market is cooling, um, they may not have to go once more. But um, it'll be a meeting-to-meeting kind of down-of-the-wire decision in November and December. Um, but I think the real theme that Powell will emphasize is this, the peak rate is probably more of a plateau in that they expect to remain on uh, an elevated level here of, of the funds rate uh, for an extended period of time. So I think while the June dot plot showed 100 basis points of easing next year for 24 by the end of next year, um, officials are probably going to walk some of that back given the resilience in the economy um, and the fact that inflation, while the month over month increases in the last couple months, um, have shown some signs of cooling um, on a year over year basis. And if you look at uh, where we were, we're still at a pretty elevated level. So I think um, it's consistent with the idea of a, a high for longer uh, funds rate by the end of next year. So instead of showing 100 basis points and cuts next year, they probably dial it back to show 75 or 50 because of the resilience in the economy and the fact that if anything, they want to err on the side of overdoing it as long as the economy is uh, withstanding. And this morning we had retail sales. And you saw a bit a bit of a pullback relative to the prior um, report in July uh, that we got in August. Um, but it still suggests that consumption is probably going to have some sort of three-handle, the four-handle on uh, real consumer spending for the third quarter. So, you know, the, the economy is not collapsing in the U.S. And um, as long as the economy is not collapsing and there's some debate whether or not they can feel confident enough to extrapolate the more recent month-to-month slowing that we've seen in core inflation, they probably err on the side of, um, you know, 
not getting back to any sort of neutral funds rate uh, as quick as they earlier anticipated. Before we took our kind of break over the summer for bond cars, we were talking about potential rate cuts in the U.S. at, at the end of this year. I mean, clearly, given everything you just said, I suppose those cuts have now been, in your central scenario, have been pushed back a little bit. Is that correct? Yeah, I think the one thing that seems increasingly clear is the Fed is not inclined to reverse quickly. And given that the decision in November still seems to be whether to hike or a pause, it's hard to imagine that a rate cut is as soon as December, like in our, our forecast had. So barring some you know extraneous shock. So I think it's pretty safe to think that it's going to take some time. Um, if our forecast for a recession is right, um, you know, the and and the Fed, even if it uh, doesn't hike again in November or December, is going to try to um, remain on the sidelines for an extended period of time. So, you know, our, our new forecast doesn't have a, a cut until the May meeting, uh, the May FOMC meeting. You know, it's a, it's a guess at this point in time. But I think, you know, the, the thing that seems pretty clear is it's not going to be as quickly as we earlier anticipated, um, given that we're now pushing our expectations for growth to finally show a contraction um, in the second quarter, uh, it seems likely that the Fed probably is going to be on hold for that that period of time. All right. So turning now to the UK and to Imogen now. Um, so for the Bank of England next week, what are you watching out for? Yeah, I guess for the Bank of England, perhaps not as finely balanced decision as the ECB was this week, but it still feels like a relatively close call you know we've had a lot of dovish commentary or, or relatively dovish commentary i suppose from um most mpc members and as i was just saying when kevin was speaking it feels like they've kind of certainly the sort of more centrist members have all settled on this coordinated message of um table mountain we've been referring to it in in the uk's policy speak and and this kind of long plateau this sort of higher for longer um, and perhaps, you know, like I said last week, that the media had made a bit more of this dovish shift from MPC speak than actually they were meaning to um, imply. You know, they haven't said that they are at the peak, but they've been pretty clear in signaling that they think that they are close to a peak. Um, and probably the data that we had this week in terms of the labor market data um, and GDP as well being weaker than expected, uh, perhaps reinforced that idea that we are closer to a peak than than we really ever have been in this cycle. Um, so it's still our base case that we do get a 25 basis point hike, um, probably ascribe a kind of 70% probability to that, um, a very small chance, let's say 5% that, that they do anything bigger, um, 50 basis points, and then the balance obviously made up by um, no hike. So it's not, you know, really near 50-50 like we were talking about with the ECB, but um, still um, perhaps more finely balanced than, than previous decisions have been for the Bank of England. Um, I think that's probably delivered with a vote of 171. So uh, Dingra continuing to vote for unchanged rates and Man, um, the outlier on the hawkish side. Um, she's kind of the only MPC member that we've heard from in recent weeks who hasn't subscribed to this sort of higher for longer plateau table mountains type narrative she was very clear that you know you should they should be hiking until they're sure that inflation is on a sufficiently downward trajectory and if they over hike um then they can just cut pretty quickly 
Um, so <laughs> a bit more Everest-like perhaps than Table Mountain. Um, uh, perhaps more interesting than really what the hike ultimately turns out to be or what the vote is, because I don't think 171 is going to be particularly market moving, um, is how they frame um, you know, the forward guidance about their reaction function going forward. They currently have in this sentence around if they see further uh, evidence of persistent price pressures, then they will deliver further tightening. Back in February, when was the last time that they sort of tried to signal that that they were near a peak, although then the inflation data um, went pretty heavily against that narrative. Um, they sort of diluted down their forward guidance and removed the word forceful. So I think if they really want to signal, as they have done in recent commentary, that we are you know, very near to a peak. In fact, we think that if they do hike 25 basis points next week, that could be the last hike in this cycle. They're probably going to have to dilute that guidance somewhat or not necessarily dilute it, but just make it more symmetric. So signaling that the kind of next move could be in either direction. The only other thing that we'll be watching is um, this will also be the meeting on which they vote um, on the pace of QT quantitative tightening in the year ahead. Um, it will be kind of accompanied by or certainly informed by um, that and a review that they've been conducting over the summer in terms of how active sales or quantitative tightening as a whole has um, uh, has been absorbed by the market over the last year, given that they've now completed the first 12 months um, of active sales. Um, I think we've said it before in this pod, but you know, all MPC members really across the kind of hawk dove spectrum have given a fairly glowing reports of QT thus far. So it feels to me like we can think of 80 billion, which is what the total rundown in the stock was this year as a kind of floor um, for for the level of QT going forwards or certainly in the year ahead. Um, my base case is that they keep the pace of active sales the same, but given a slight tick up in the natural rundown, that would imply an overall rundown in the balance sheet of 95 billion versus the 80 billion of, of this year. Um, I think the the risks to that are probably skewed to the upside. They could, in fact, increase active sales slightly, um, but I don't think we're talking about huge kind of upside risks here. Um, Broadbent has previously said in front of the Treasury Select Committee that they felt like 100 billion was the limit for what the market could absorb. Clearly, that 100 billion was sort of, um, that was the conclusion of an assessment under different market conditions. They hadn't started QT, so they didn't know how well the market would absorb active sales. And the fact that they finished QT, um, corporate QT um, just pushes up that 100 billion limit slightly. But I don't think we'd be talking about anything more than kind of 120 billion. And how does our expectation of this 25 basis point hike fit in with what markets are expecting at the moment? Yeah, well, I guess just rounding off the discussion on QT, I think that's very much in line with expectations, that kind of 95 billion or somewhere around the 100 billion mark. Um, in terms of market expectations, honestly, I think, it, you know, as I said, I think this could be a fairly uneventful meeting. The market to me seems really fairly priced. You know, if you take those probabilities that I went through um, and, you know, that would imply a kind of 20 basis points um, of tightening being priced in was kind of fair value. And that's almost exactly what what the market has priced in right now. Um, so in terms of kind of very near-term market pricing, I I think we're almost um, exactly aligned. The two things that I would push back against in terms of market pricing are just when the peak is being priced, 
and then the scale of the pivot when it occurs. So the market has long had a peak in kind of early 2024, um, February, March next year, um, which just feels wrong to me in that it hasn't been a particularly high pivot for some time, but it's still been quite late. You know, if, if p- rates are going to peak in early next year, I think they're going to be higher than what the market is currently pricing in. Um, and if they're going to peak at kind of the levels that the market is pricing in, it's probably more likely to be either next week or after one more hike in, in November. Um, but the bigger thing that I think I would push back against is, um, like I say, the kind of scale of cuts that the market is pricing once we've finally turned back towards easing. Um, and I think it's a bit of a similar story in the euro area as well. You know, all central banks have been peddling this kind of higher for longer view. So perhaps it's no surprise that that's what the market is now priced in. Um, but it feels to me on both the UK and the euro area side that the risks are skewed towards faster and perhaps larger easing than the market is currently pricing. You know, it's, it's interesting to me that the market's pricing in a kind of larger pivot in the US where the data is holding up much better um, versus the UK and the euro area, which have just quite a shallow cutting cycle. And, you know, next year we have just 50 basis points of loosening, half a percentage point of loosening in the UK. Um, and we think it, it could be close to double that given A, the deterioration in the activity data that we're starting to see with only a partial pass through of the hikes that have been delivered so far, but B, also um, the fact that the kind of monetary policy pass through in this hiking cycle has been much um, much slower than expected. That transmission mechanism has been much slower, which perhaps means that they sort of do bigger hike, sorry, bigger cuts uh, when they get around to, to cutting. So aside from the BOE, we also get inflation prints next week. How important will those kind of be for the meeting and for, I suppose, uh, market pricing as well? Yeah, so on the surface, it feels like a sort of interesting inflation print in that largely driven by energy base effects, we, sh- we expect to see headline um, rise marginally next week um, to 7%, um, although core will marginally tick back down. Um, but that's a kind of well-telegraphed um, increase, I suppose. We've heard other BOE MPC members um, talk about the fact that the you know energy-based effects may, in the near term, push inflation up slightly. Um, and I guess I should say as well at the outset that the BOE will have sight of the inflation data that, on Monday, so that will kind of feed into their discussions that they're having ahead of the vote. Um, I think, you know, to the extent that one more hike is our base case, perhaps a marginal tick up in headline just kind of cements the view that one, uh, you know, a a degree of further tightening needs to be delivered with wage inflation still very high, as we learned this week, um, and headline inflation, you know, for one month not going in the right direction, then against that backdrop, it might be hard for the um, MPC to conclude that they've really kind of won this battle and that they've done enough. at the same time, I don't know if we get a kind of slight uh, downward surprise if inflation comes in slightly less than expected, if that's really enough to kind of shift the balance of power um, towards the much more dovish end of the spectrum and get a kind of majority of votes for, for no change this week. So um, perhaps not all that important, but but just something to watch out for. In this round of our discussion in the UK as well, we've had a week of guilt outperformance. Do you think this continues? Um, 
I guess the short answer really is not necessarily. Um, I think we saw, you know, plenty of gilt underperformance, um, i.e. gilt yields rising much more than their kind of global peers as the UK started to look increasingly like an outlier in terms of its inflation outlook and also the central bank policy response. You know, we've had many months where inflation in the UK has been significantly higher and also trending in the wrong direction versus its global peers, um, which led the market to price in kind of ever higher peaks in monetary policy. Now it feels like the market's much more comfortable with this idea that, you know, just like elsewhere, we're kind of close to, um, I'll assume we'll be at the peak in in policy rates um, and we're just going to kind of plateau at that level for some time and inflation is on, you know, a comfortable downward trajectory. So perhaps with you know, diminishing fears of kind of scary second round effects on the inflation front. It's no surprise to see a reversal of that underperformance of gilts that that we've become accustomed to. Um, does it really change the overall bearish narrative for gilts? Not really. I think two th- points that I would make are just that, you know, one of the reasons we've been very bearish gilts all year, as regular listeners of the podcast will know, is all about the supply outlook. Um, and, you know, this inflation narrative, maybe it helps on the demand side slightly. It, it helps to bring back a little bit of demand, but it obviously doesn't obviously change the picture on the supply side. Um, and at the same time, I think that the risks on the supply side are skewed in in really one direction. Um, and the other point that I would just make is, you know, I worry a little bit that perhaps the market is a bit complacent about, you know, inflation now being on a sufficiently downward trajectory and the data turning over and, and you know, the BOE being done. Um, of course, that is our central scenario as well, but I think maybe the narrative has just shifted so quickly and positioning perhaps shifted so quickly that risks that are kind of non-zero of, um, you know, perhaps base effects pushing inflation up again in a couple of months time, you know, food price inflation um, will still be much higher than um, the BOE's 2% target, we think, as we head into 2024. And, you know, we might get risks at the Bank of England actually still do need to do more, um, you know, further down the line and and bear down a little bit more on domestic demand if we're still importing um, very high prices. Um, So not suggesting that that is my base case, but I do worry that, that the market is perhaps now shifted, you know, very far in the other direction and then that, you know, everybody's starting to get long and and this idea that the Bank of England is definitely done um, may be challenged in some of the data over the next couple of months. Okay, that's probably enough from me, enough from all of us this week on central banks. Uh, let's catch up next week. Obviously, we will have had the Fed and the BOE by then uh, and we'll have, uh, I'm sure, have plenty more to talk about um, across all regions. Thank you both for joining me. Thank you to our listeners for listening in. Just a reminder, if you liked today's episode, please don't forget to hit the like button and click subscribe so you can get the latest episodes as soon as they're available. Thanks. See you next week.